Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today are two men familiar with the trials and tribulations of the State Department of Conservation and Recreation. Whitney Hatch is the chairman of the Department of Conservation and Recreation Stewardship Council. Stephen Pritchard spent about four years working in state government under former Governor Mitt Romney. He is a former commissioner of DCR and secretary of environmental affairs. He currently runs an energy efficiency company called Renew Energy Partners. DCR is the state agency that oversees the state's parks and beaches. It also is the state's largest landlord, overseeing some 2,000 buildings, four working piers, three ski areas, two golf courses, two summer theaters, six bocce courts, and assorted ice rinks and pools. The agency has been in the news a lot lately, mostly for a handful of employees who had to be disciplined or even fired for abusing their positions. Leo Roy, the commissioner, was one of those employees. Commonwealth came out this week with a story that portrayed the agency as underfunded, understaffed, and struggling to do its job. Plagued over the years by an inability to manage its properties effectively, Roy said the agency is now trying to raise tenant rents to market levels. Let's start with you, Stephen. You've been away from DCR for many years, but you have a good historical perspective on the agency. You were there when DCR was created out of the merger of two other state agencies. Give us your perspective. Yeah, I was there when we uh, combined the former uh, MDC and DEM into the the current uh, Department of Conservation and Recreation. And um, it was it was a challenge to put those two different cultures together. Um, it was the right thing to do, I believe. And um, I think we made some great progress during the time that I was there at the DCR. And it was great to have the Stewardship Council formed as sort of this independent um, citizens advisory board uh, to, to guide the development of the DCR. Because essentially we were starting a new culture, the DCR culture, and um, it was a, I will say there was some, uh, you know, sort of growing pains associated with um, putting those two organizations together, and probably some of those pains still exist today, but I've been very impressed with the progress that has been made um, since uh, we started the, the, uh, the DCR. And um, there's still a lot to do. I know that for a fact. Um, and, um, you know, for the most part, I think I was very impressed with the professionalism and the dedication of the people that I met, uh, both in the NBC and the, DC, and the DEM, um, and who have carried forward the mission of the DCR. So um, definitely a challenge um, and definitely some resource issues that have to be addressed. But um, I'm, I'm quite encouraged with some of the progress that has been made since I left um, and you, you talk about a culture, two different cultures at these agencies. I've heard a lot about sort of a culture clash, if you will, between the two agencies that were merged. Talk a little bit about that. What, what was that? What were the different cultures, if you could just sum that up? Well, we combined two different kinds of parks agencies. The MDC was essentially the urban parks organization, and the DEM was the state parks organization. They had different constituencies, different demands on, on their time and on, on the park systems themselves, and they also had their own set of approaches and systems on how they dealt with those things, which developed over a very long period of time. So eliminating that culture um, 
you know, is, is a significant challenge in trying to bring people together to be focused on a single uh, entity and a single new culture, if you will. It's not something that can be wiped away immediately. And so there are probably still pockets of that. Um, you know, people worked at the MDC and the DEM for a very long time, and they still have sort of that historical memory, if you will. Um, and I think that's also part of the challenge of the DCR as as they begin to lose people, particularly in this latest um, retirement program, that you know the institutional knowledge um, of the facilities, both in the state parks and urban park side, starts to walk out the door. There's you know there wasn't as much sort of systematic um, management of the asset information and and just of the parks operation. Um, so you have a lot that walks out the door with individuals as they go. Um, you mean mean a lot of the knowledge about what what properties they own and who's leasing them and all that stuff is sort of in someone's head and, and they walk well, out I, the door? Well, I, I would say that part of what we did when we started the DCR was put together a asset management uh, database, and that still exists today. They're still using that today. And um, I think that is actually part of that institutional knowledge is, has you know been sort of preserve. I was thinking more of some of these things that came along in terms of park leases and, and those kinds of things. Um, it, it was really a system of paper and individuals who knew what was where. And, um, you know, this this effort to sort of uh, develop a consistent approach and develop a database with with this information in it and manage uh, those those kinds of activities, I think is is just another forward step in what needs to happen here. And um, those are the things that I'm actually encouraged about that they are taking these kinds of steps to to try to preserve that institutional knowledge, if you will, and and, and systematize it. Just, just to jump in on, on what Steve was saying, as important as the cultural challenges were, Steve's underplaying the, um, the challenge of combining the two systems. Uh, when I was with the Trust for Public Land, we worked on a project to figure out how could we do some unified planning between the two agencies and the systems, the way in which maintenance staff was deployed, engineering was organized, were completely different in the MDC as compared to DEM. And so the challenge of a single management trying to put those together merely from a from a management systems point of view, uh, I think was very difficult and took, and that, mm -hmm. Steve was at the center of that. It took a very long time. So culture on top of very different systems that grew up independently of each other for years. Whitney, you're, you're with the Stewardship Council. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what its role is. Stewardship Council was founded uh, at the same time that the two agencies were combined to provide some citizens insight and support for DEM and MDC and the new DCR. Um, we have two essential functions and by statute, or actually three. Uh, the first being approving the budget. We're still trying to figure out how to do that, given that even the agency doesn't know the budget until the governor issues it. The second is uh, approving management plans for all the park resources around the, the country so that the employees know to what uh, standards and um, uh, 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 objectives they're trying to manage the park. And the third is oversight on some appointments of staff. Uh, I think it's the um, uh, div division directors, mass park director and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And, and throughout our existence, it's been a real challenge to figure out how to perform those functions, except for the approval of the resource management plans. That's quite straightforward. The problem is, is it's stalled because there's only one planner on staff, whereas before there were three or four. 
and more staff to help create um, uh, drafts for us to consider. I might point out also that the resource management plan is another way of, of capturing that institutional knowledge and, and the objectives of managing individual parks. So as you can imagine, you might change out individuals who manage an individual park. Well, they sort of have the playbook in place. Um, and that, that was really the objective of right. the resource management plans. And um, I'm glad to see that those are proceeding, although, as you suggest, you need some real uh, dedicated effort to do those. They're not, it doesn't happen overnight. Now, I'm not as intimately involved in this agency as you folks are, but it's, it strikes me that uh, a, a spotlight needs to be put on it a, a bit in, for a, in a public way. Um, Governor Baker got a fiscal management control board to oversee the T, and its main benefit, it seems to me, is they do a lot of stuff in public, and they sort of bring all the dirty laundry and put it out on, on, the, on the table so everybody can see what the problem is and what the challenges are. Um, it strikes me that this agency could use a little bit of that as well. Now, maybe the Stewardship Council is doing that, and I haven't been paying attention. But it seems like this whole thing with leases and managing properties and is it too far flung? Is it doing too many things? Should it be managing state piers and, and state parks? Um, it seems like it's a debate that should be a little more public. In a way, it feels to me like DCR is sort of hidden away and, and people don't pay much attention to it. What do you guys think? I, I think that's a fair characterization, that, that it, it is a bit hidden, and yet it's also sort of treated that way. It's almost a rounding error in, in the budget process. It is a source of funds if, if uh, the appropriators need to find some more money to, to round out the budget, and it's, it's less now the recipient of additional funding if there are more revenues available from the state side. Uh, I, I think, to Steve's point, the staff has done a remarkable job uh, uh, performing with what resources they do have, their job is to do the bidding of the administration and the governor, and it's not to say we can't do it because there's no money. It's more a matter of how do we do it with the money that we get. The Stewardship Council has taken on the role of trying to understand where resources are needed and what sort of resources are needed, and then try to deliver, try to uh, encourage the appropriators to um, provide those resources. I've come to the conclusion after doing this for 12 years now, I've been chairing the council for five years, that we really don't know what kind of money the agency needs and where and where it ought to be allocated to perform um, uh, adequately. So we have argued for the establishment of an analysis to essentially determine what a base budget would be for, a, for an agency like DCR that has the responsibilities that it has operating at some level of performance. You choose gold, silver, bronze what sort of resources and what sort of staffing would be required, how might the agency operate more efficiently in some areas. And then let's see what that looks like and we'll see how far off that we are. Uh, the legislature appro appropriated $200,000 in the last budget. It's still in there. It uh, was restored in the legislature's override of the governor's veto. Uh, I've been encouraging the administration to keep that in place and we're now trying to figure out what would an analysis look like, which gets exactly to your point. Let's see what outsiders feel uh, uh, DCR uh, needs in terms of resources in order to, in order to meet its, its mission. And, uh, and then air it out, see what yeah. it looks like. 
Stephen, it seems like commissioners, and you were one for, I think, about six months at Correct. one point, they come and go pretty fast at DCR. Um, and it always has had a reputation, some of its predecessor agencies had the same reputation as a place where governors stick political friends. I'm not saying the whole agency right. is filled with that, but mm -hmm. it has a reputation as that. Is it a fair reputation? What's your sense? Um, I, I would say that it's that it, that might have been the sort of the history of the past, particularly of the you know the the two individual agencies, if you will. I think the effort has been going forward with DCR to bring in the people who have the kind of knowledge and talent to to address these kinds of systems and. Um, it's, it's still a challenge because people do move on fairly, fairly quickly and, and, you know, all the more reason to work very hard to develop um, this, this sort of institutional knowledge and sets of systems and to have long-term, you know, professional staff there. I mean, I was thrilled to see that Priscilla Geigas is there and she's been uh, appointed uh, deputy commissioner there. Um, you know, keeping that level of continuity in the staff helps tremendously, and um, and then just you know you're going to you're going to have that turnover. You have that turnover all the time. Um, so this the organization I think needs to be designed to deal with that turnover and still keep the wheels turning and keep the the parks maintained and and keep them maintained to a particular level too. Um, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is is sort of putting this putting this benchmark on what's the right level of support for individual parks. And they're, they're so vastly different. Um, you know, there's a huge difference between the Esplanade and, you know, Greylock, Mount Greylock out in the West and, and Miles Standish and Nickerson Field and, and, or Nickerson State Park. And it's just, um, you know, the resource management plans, I think, will help sort of put that in place. But the missing piece, I think, is and it was something we attempted to do while I was there was, was to try to get a handle on how the sort of the financial management systems could support that. So you could see how things rolled up and, and where the investment was in individual parks and, and really sort of benchmark what the right level of support was for each individual park. It, it's, it's a fairly daunting task because as you stated, there's, you know, there's almost a half a million acres of land in the, in the DCR and they have other challenges. They they handle all dam safety in the in the uh, Commonwealth, and you know they have uh, forest fire pr protection responsibilities, and they own parkways that have to be plowed and and maintained, and they own bridges, and so you've got sort of a public works agency along with a conservation and recreation agency. It's, it's quite a daunting task at times. It's even it's even. Bigger than that, I mean, uh, I was struck. They own four state piers, right? Correct. And in New Bedford, the mayor, standing right next to the commissioner of DCR, said, "DCR should not be running this pier. They don't know what they're doing." I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that. And it strikes me that it is an agency sort of stretch doing all sorts of different types of jobs. Is it too much, Whitney? Or what do you think? I don't know whether it's too much. I guess those those assets have to go somewhere, and. For whatever reason, DCR has been the uh, the, the receptacle for, for responsibility for those resources. 
if an if an entity has the resources to manage manage uh, what it has, I'm sure that the agency could step up to the plate. On the other hand, in an era of scarcity, it's got to look at okay, where can we cut back and barely do well enough so that we can really fill a bad hole. What what hours should we cut pools back to in order to save on seasonal labor costs in order to apply those labor? That's where the agency is right now, is trade-offs. Can I, I, I want to jump right uh, briefly back to what Steve was saying in terms of uh, your question about variability of leaders. Uh, you can't decouple the variability of the leadership with the variability of the funding. The two, uh, I think, create real difficulties for even the professional staff that's there or for the commissioners that are named. Um, you counted, I can't remember uh, a certain number, I've counted 13 commissioners over 13 years counting vacancies and, and acting commissioners, 13 and 13 years. It's the commissioner that the legislature looks to for communications, especially when it comes to budget time and appropriations. And if there's that much turnover on average, uh, it's a very difficult um, uh, task for the agency to make its case. Secondly, if you look at the uh, funding chart, that uh, the, the, the operating, in, uh, operating resources that you uh, included in your article, if you take the, the change from year to year and just average it out, it goes up or down five million bucks a year. And for an agency that's on a 70 to 80 million dollar budget, that sort of variability, lurching one way or another, some years much more than others, is a really hard thing to manage. So mm -hmm. it's stability of, of the professional staff, it's more stability in the leadership, and it's definitely some sort of predictability or stability on the funding side would, I think, go a long way to help the agency manage what it has. So when you talk about developing a, a budget sort of to give people a sense of what level of service do we want to provide, are you talking, when you use the term service, you sort of seem to imply we're talking about parks and, and that sort of thing. But what about all these other things? I think we have to reach have? through. I, I, I'm quite figured out how to do that, but that's on the table. Mm -hmm. We have to. We have to figure out, given what the agency has, how do we look at what it, what it would need to to inspect all the dams in the state uh, mm -hmm. and to manage the ones that it owns, that right. the agency owns. Right. So all of it will be included. And if some other agency wants to take some of that responsibility, I'm sure DCR will say, "That sounds good to me." <laughs> <laughs> It's a little puzzling to me that we talked a little bit about how DCR seems to be a little bit out of the way uh, in the drawer, so to speak, of state government. And yet, it's an agency that interacts with the public on a direct basis all the time, which is not that common in state government. Right. It's often above and out of, the, out of the limelight. Why is it that way? Why is it sort of treated as a, a stepchild in state government? Why do you think that is? I, I don't think it's unusual. I think park systems across the country are in the same boat. Uh, park systems are a public good that's taken for granted. It's very hard to assemble the constituency for parks because it's just you and I walking through the gate one day and leaving. There's right. no sort of touchstone with the public. Uh, particularly in the municipal parks, it's very hard to measure uh, usage of the parks. I mean, except for the Esplanade, where they have a pretty good idea as to who, who comes to the concerts and events there. So it's, that is the state of parks across the country, and I don't think Massachusetts is any different. Um, I, would agree, I would agree with you there, Whitney. I think, I think, you know, if you look at the overall challenges facing a governor of any state, you know, health and human services and education and those kinds of things, they tend to just have higher priorities. And, and I think, you know, this, the park system, wow, a massive, I think, benefit to the public at large. 
is is uh, spread out, diverse, and and to a degree taken for for granted. Although I, I will say that in DCR, there's there are lots of organizations for individual parks that are friends of the park, and they try to interact with DCR directly. So there's a lot of public uh, activity involved at DCR, but when you start raising it to the to the high level of what are the strategic priorities for the state, for the Commonwealth, you're competing against, um, you know, health and human services. You're competing against education and all of, and transportation and all those other really big issues in the Commonwealth. And it's also true that um, uh, there is a ton of support for new buildings, openings, revitalization of parks, the ribbon-cutting ceremonies, sort of restoration of assets, new acquisitions of, of parkland, tremendous support. The rub is the maintenance and keeping up with uh, maintenance so that we don't develop these deferred maintenance backlogs. That's what's really hidden from view, mm -hmm. and that's where really where the challenge is. So one thing uh, Commonwealth has sort of focused on, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, is is the property that gets leased out by mm -hmm. DCR because it, the agency needs money. So you would think that when you're leasing out property and bringing in money, that that would be a pretty mm -hmm. high priority. But it seems like it takes years and years for the agency just to figure out what it owns, who's leasing it, how often they need to be, renew that lease. And then it's the challenge of what do you charge? Um, you know, a park agency probably sort of feels like we're open to the public and we're here to do good. Or do you try and maximize or increase your revenue? That's the sort of last thing I want to understand a little bit. What do you two think about that? Um, uh, there, there are sort of two pieces to this. One is, in the, in the good old days, as recently as six years ago, the agency was only allowed to keep a certain amount of revenue from the revenue it collected. And I think the cap was nine to $12 million. I can't remember exactly. Under the Patrick administration, with the legislature, they changed that formula so that the agency could keep 80, 80 cents of every dollar that it collected up to a certain amount that was capped in the budget. So that, is, that has created incentives that the agency has embraced fully to try to address exactly the problem that you, that, that, that you suggest. Are, are we charging the right market rates for many of these places like parking garages and that sort of thing? Um, just as an aside, paradoxically, the legislature reduced the ceiling up to which the agency should cap this year in its conference. And we, I don't understand why that happened. We think that it could collect up to $25 million, but they're only authorized to collect $22.5. Not sure what that's all about. So that's one thing. The second piece of it is really related to the resources and the staffing. That is a landlord function, building management function, land management function. It requires lawyers, it requires accountants, it requires a lot of time and attention, and it requires um, diligence. And uh, at least during one period over the past five years, that staff was down to a bare minimum. It was like a couple of attorneys responsible for that whole uh, uh, waterfront of activities. The agency, I think, encouraged the audit that you referred to in your article to come in and look at how we're performing this, and they're trying to tick off sort of the corrective moves to address what the audit saw. It's actually a, an example of what you say is, is uh, DCR's interest in a little more attention and assistance. I think it's there, but it's going to need the resources to perform the job. And then once it does perform the job, 
you don't want to impinge on its incentives by lowering the, the amount that they can keep. Right. And I would fully support taking uh, personnel off of the revenue collection point when they get to the maximum and deploy them to emptying wastebaskets and cleaning cleaning bathrooms. I mean, they're, uh, so that's, it, it actually should be working, and it, I think it is working a lot better than it, than it used to, uh, and, and it's largely a result of some of the changes that have been put in place the last few years. Right, and I, I would say on the leasing front, um, and, and only seeing this from afar, I haven't been intimately involved in the, the effort to sort of collect all the information on the leases and stuff. I think that's the first step. You To know what you have to do, you have to have a depository somewhere that, that has everything and you have to be able to measure it and all of that. The next step is obviously negotiating new leases, which is not inconsequential. It, you know, everybody's got built into their budgets kind of the leases that they're expected, and these are long-running leases, the same number they've been using for a long time. So figuring out a way to transition to um, you know, higher lease rates uh, for every customer is almost an individual decision on a customer-by-customer -customer basis. And, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated by the fact that a lot of these leases are, are tied into what are really public, uh, you know, public good type uh, entities like community boating and, and, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, so I think there's a, a lot of a challenge there to, to really move that one forward. Um, I think the first step in sort of getting a collective grasp of what you have is a really good first step, and then then it's about how do we take that next step and get and, and sort of accelerate the, the process of negotiating appropriate leases for the individual facilities and customers. Stephen Pritchard, Whitney Hatch, thank you both for joining me today, and thank you to our listeners. And for anybody who wants to check us out, check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud, and keep coming back next week. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks.